And King had a lot to do. King wanted to see some other stuff that I, I did. And that's, I said, if you walk over to the edit room, my edit room, I can show you some stuff. So he came over. I was working on a Hell's Angel film. <laughs> did I ever tell you that? No. Hell's Angels, it was called Hell's Angels Forever, Forever Hell's Angels. So he came over, he looked at it, and he says, anybody that can work with these crazy motherfuckers can work with this here. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Tourist Information. My guest this week is the late Leon Gast. He won an Academy Award for When We Were Kings. He also directed Our Latin Thing, made a documentary about the Hells Angels, Smash His Camera, a wonderful tabloid photographer, and his last documentary he directed was about Manny Pacquiao. And I just thought maybe to go into the archives could be fun. Um, Leon was a real mentor to me. I met him back in, I think, 2010, while he was working on the, the Pacquiao documentary, and I was working on my own about Guillermo Rigondeau. And Leon is just one of the most generous, lovable people that I met since moving to New York. And um, just such incredible backstories. And so that's why I thought it'd be fun to share this. Um, read the obituary in the New York Times about Leon Gass to find out what an incredible character he was. And you just feel that infusion of his enthusiasm, his passion, his intelligence, and just his humanity throughout his work. Um, everybody I've ever met that knew him loved him. And um, I was really kind of really saddened to hear about his passing in March of last year. But um, I thought this would be a way to just sort of bring him back for a little bit. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with the late Leon Gast, this week's guest on Tourist Information. Do you see a lot of parallels between Pacquiao and Ali? There were some, some obvious uh, uh, Manny did actually go into politics. So many times it would be brought up, why don't you go into politics? But he usually had a, you know, I, I don't want that. I don't want any of that. I'm not going to do that. But they were both great fighters. They both great defensive fighters, both very glib. Well, uh, articulate um, and uh, no, not really. When I think about it, uh, um, Ali was very kind to his uh, his entourage by comparison, is, a, is not even an entourage. I mean, Ali had maybe 12 people in his entourage. Manny Pacquiao had, according to Michael Kahn's, 66 people in his entourage. And he pays for everything. 
He pays for food, he pays for gas, he plays, pays for plane fare, and he pays for tickets. The, he gets, I don't, many, I don't know how many he, he would get from uh, uh, top rank. I would guess at the most, what would you guess, how many tickets? 20, 40? 20, 15, 20, yeah. But he pays for everybody. And he brings, there was a time when he was trying to ingratiate himself with a lot of the politicians in the Philippines. You know, governors, senators, congressmen, the Philippines is set up pretty much the same way the structure of their government is very similar to ours, president, vice president, secretary of state, all of those things. So he would bring in a lot of people that could well afford to pay for themselves, but uh, Manny picked up the, the tab and Manny uh, um, leased planes uh, and uh, they flew out in private jets and especially down to Texas for the, the uh, which one was that, Texas? Uh, Dallas, yeah, that's where we met, actually, you and I. Oh, yeah, that was... Uh, Margarito Pacquiao. Right. Was he nice to, I mean, I hear there was some... Like when you hear about him being converting to Christianity, which I thought he was before, but um, no, he left Catholicism. He was a <clears throat> he was brought up Roman Catholic, according to his mother. He did uh, he did mass every morning, you know, if not in the church church at uh, at home, and. Uh, he uh, he could be very mean to uh, a lot of people that were close to him. One thing that really really ticked him off was if he went to a gym, and you know, like Wild Card or wherever he happens to be fighting, there are there are hours when it gets closer to a fight that they have it specifically, you know, maybe from four to six, uh, but usually it's open. Manny comes in and trains, and there are lots of people who have membership cards to the gym, they're in training, so with uh, Boo Boy, his, his friend from General Santos City, where he grew up, goes on one day, walks up to the speed bag, and, uh, was up higher than where it was usually be. He turned, bam, he hits Boo Boy in the side, you know, but not an easy shot. And it wasn't the kind of shot where, you know, Boo Boy was faking it. He was over holding his side and uh, eventually somebody does get it down to his size and it's at uh, wild card. You can see Boo, Boo Boy through almost the whole thing, holding his side, and Manny, Manny works out. But he was, uh, 
a taskmaster. He wanted everything to be, you know, exactly the way he wanted it. And uh, if anybody fucked up, he got physical. I mean, I don't know that he ever slugged it out with anybody, but uh, those kind of things that everybody, you know, suffered it. Mike Kahn's never had any kind of problem with them because Mike Kahn's handled the money, all of the money. And uh, he talked about the gambling. When I think of the gambling, where Floyd May Mayweather lives in Las Vegas, he claims to win all the time. I don't know if you've read any. You know, <laughs> I've seen him. Yeah, you've seen him. I, I won $350,000 on the World Series last year. He lives in Las Vegas of all places. And the incredible stuff that's online of him walking around with those galoots that they're, they're carrying the packages of money yeah. Yeah. when he yeah. goes into a casino. You know, like that. And he's got a garage specifically for his Rolls Royces. He is the highest paid athlete in sport. He brings the Boston Celtics. He's this huge Celtic fan. He brings the Celtics to a fight in Vegas. He brings the Boston Celtics, who probably make just as much money as he does. He pays for them to come in. He puts them in a hotel. He gets them ringside seats, and I always ask uh, numbers, and uh, Michael said uh, probably a million one, a million two, somewhere around there. What does that mean? I'm making 23 million and a back end. Do you, do you think, I think when I asked you two years ago, um, Freddie Rhodes said to me back around 2010, 2011, that Pacquiao was basically broke. He, he, he owes the United States government tax money. He owes the Philippines tax money. And, uh, the closest thing he has to a financial advisor is Mike Kahn's. And uh, Mike Kahn's is frightened of him, of his position. Have you met Mike? I've seen him at Wildcard. Yeah, he's the guy. He handles the money. I, because as soon as he talked about gambling, you know, and gambling basketball, and uh, I bet the the NCAA, but I'm, I bet very little money. There was a time many years ago where I would bet a lot of money, a lot of money for me. Now I'm a fifty or a hundred dollar the most the Sunday football games, and. Uh, um, well, with gambling, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I remember you, you you enjoy gambling. Yes. But if you're a Mayweather or a Pacquiao making 15, 20 million, to get the same pleasure that you were talking about watching a baseball game, don't you have to bet enough that there's some risk? 
bet $5 on a baseball game. And you'll see how it will affect the way, as I started to tell you earlier, if you have a team and you're winning 2-1 and uh, your pitcher gets an 0-2 count on the guy and there's a man on first and he throws him a fastball down the center. You know, you you see things, things annoy you that you, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you just let it go. Oh, that was stupid. But if you have, you know, I'm betting $50 on, you know, I took Notre Dame to go all the way. And uh, I won't bet anymore. I can afford to bet more than that. Um, but, but when Mayweather's betting millions of dollars on these things, and we're only hearing about what he's winning, not what he's losing. Oh, you never do. So does it make you think, like if Manny had a gambling issue and Pacquiao has this gambling thing, is, is there something about the money they're making that it's meaningless or they think there's endless supplies? Uh, yes, that's what they do. If, if, if you're trying to, to, could there be a fix? Uh, I, I mean, could there be somebody because of a bet? Uh, first, if you're looking to make a big bet, a big, big bet, you'd have to do it through a casino. Most bookmakers will not take, if you're looking to bet a couple of hundred thousand dollars, they're gonna, they're gonna, and especially if you're a guy that bets $50 or $100, and then you come in with wanting to bet, you know, I'd like to bet 25,000 on this. Yeah. They're, they're, there's a good chance they would not, the way that a lot of guys who were able to do this, you have to have various outs. You have to have friends. Did we ever talk about this where, you know, I might say, I hear that uh, Pacquiao is going to get knocked out inside the fifth round. You're up in Boston. Do you have a bookmaker up there? Could you get us down for $5,000 and see what the odds would be? And let's say you're from Arkansas. And you, you have to have like a network of people that makes it very difficult uh, to, uh, to just get down, to bet a whole lot of money uh, um, on a... On a Maybe on a Super Bowl, if it was the Giants, I would bet $500. But it was usually my buddy, John, 100. Uh, but do you think these guys, both these guys are gambling? Do you see them both, like so many boxers in the past, going broke? It's, look back. Look at, look at uh, Joe Frazier. Living on top of what was the Overlook Gym is now a mattress store. What happened to Ali? What happened to Joe Lewis? What happens to all of them? 
Rocky Marciano is different. Every, I think one out of a hundred is different. They become, you know, they become a big shot. They carry a lot of money around. They're going to pick up every tab. It's, it comes with territory. And, uh, yeah, I see them. I see even Mayweather. As much money as he makes, he lives in Las Vegas of all the places to, uh, for a gambler to live in. Probably the worst place he can possibly live is Las Vegas. 24 hours, anything you want to gamble on and anything they don't have a, a line for. And Manny is... Uh, 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 Floyd is a whale, so uh, they would accommodate him, for sure. I, I would say that in boxing, more than any other sport, uh, fighters are more likely, you know, to go broke than any other sport, because they all wind up with tremendous tax liabilities. It seems to happen with all of them. Yeah. I mean, Joe Lewis, who, uh, who fought, uh, did exhibition bouts during the war, and uh, all of the, whatever proceeds there were, he, it was all donated to the Army Navy Fund. And uh, he had to continue fighting. How do, you, how do you see Pacquiao, if he wins this fight, I mean, can he stop fighting at some point? Well, there was a time when most people most people thought, most Filipino people felt that Manny Pacquiao would uh, be the president at some point. That he is, he's got the popularity to become the president of the Philippines. And he's approaching it the right way. He's starting off as a congressman from his district and... Uh, and eventually he'll move up. He's a governor now. And uh, um, I was there three times. And uh, I went to one of the meetings we filmed and it's owned by Ryan Moore. He owns everything and you know, I saw it signed a contract to that effect, but I have copies of everything. And we went to uh, a uh, some kind of, a, in, just in a room, a hearing, and it was uh, um, Amelda was the head of the committee. So that's only four or five years ago. It was, she was the head of the con congressional committee. There were maybe you know, she was there and like a horseshoe of tables and uh, Manny was supposed to be over there. 
all the other seats were filled, and she says, uh, I see that the congressman from Sarangani is not present, and this is a bill that will help his province more than any of the other provinces. Manny just didn't show up. He just wouldn't show up, you know, and uh, I think I told you I called him King Louis the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. He was the king, and all these people were his slaves. He listened to Aaron. He didn't listen to anybody else. So anyway, he knocked up a young starlet, and it got into the newspapers, and I don't remember her age, but she was a teenager. And uh, he, uh, he, the way he meant that, when, when I mentioned that woman, the Filipino, the writer for the Philippines, she said, every event, she'll be there, absolutely. She's married. And uh, when Manny was in a car with her, and he heard some, you know, one of those uh, holy rollers doing a sermon or whatever it was, and, and it came up later on. And she said, let me introduce you to the Reverend so-and-so. And Manny brought the guy up, and uh, um, we filmed the, you know, the first meeting with this guy, and uh, he was he was great, you know, slapped the Bible and and this book, and uh, he he impressed Manny. Manny became a disciple. And uh, Manny left, and it was happening the same time that the, the newspaper headlines, Manny gets a young woman pregnant. He had to, uh, he admitted that it was his. He paid support, but he converted to whatever it is you convert to. And, uh, and Jinky, his wife, went for it and said, uh, you know, on camera, after it happened, I was gone, Ryan did the interview, I have it somewhere, and uh, said, uh, you are a new man. God has given you another chance. And uh, that one I may have been there. And he says, I, I stopped, I gave up the game. And, and Jinky, can't, Jinky says, he, you are a new man. You stopped, or he's a new man. He's given up gambling. He's given up drinking. He's giving up. And she had a problem saying the word. 
and it was, and then she comes up with being unfaithful. And uh, God has given you another chance. Was drinking a big thing with him? Pardon me? Was he a drinker? Yes, he was a drinker. Huh. He was a drinker. Not drugs, but he drank and he, uh, he gambled, then he chased women. Well, to get it, to get an idea of like uh, of what Pacquiao Mayweather will be, because this is for he and I the first big fight we've ever been to. I, I mean, Pacquiao Margarito is probably the biggest fight I've been to. It's a big fight. It's a big fight at the time. This is possibly the biggest fight. Uh, um, I think there's a much bigger interest in this fight with even the the casual sport fan than uh, than Ali uh, Frazier first time. And you went to that? Yes, I went to all three of them and I have the programs. <laughs> what is that the biggest sporting event you've ever been to? No. The biggest one I ever went to was uh, the uh, Bobby Thompson home run, hmm. October 3rd, 1951. I, uh, I played hooky from school and I got caught. That was, you know, the playoff game, two playoff games, and Thompson hit the home run, the Giants win the pennant. And I got home pretty much the same time I would normally get home. When my father came home, he asked me several questions. How was school today? Good. Did you learn anything? I said yes. Uh, what? Oh, in history class. Do you remember anything at all? I said, uh, oh, we learned about, and my father never hit me, but he grabbed me like that, and he picked me up, and he said, you're a damn liar. You were not seen, you were not in school today. You were seeing, it was where my high school was, there was a bus that went directly to New York, Dixie Terminal, and my brother was in the Navy. So I used to wear his jacket while he was gone. And it was like a blue with red <laughs> sleeves and everybody knew the, and they saw me getting on the bus with John Sabatino, Davey Hanrahan, Mikey Lopardo, and one other guy. So anyway, we went and it, the polo grounds was not filled up, but we got bleacher seats. We were we snuck over into the grandstand, and uh, and Bobby Thompson hit that home run, and uh, that giant shirt I have was is Mikey Lopardo's. Daughters are alive. Mikey died. I had heard that. And uh, 
one of the daughters, Lisa, her name is, uh, was Lisa Raw Michelle, last name is Olson. She's married to Olson, the, uh, the All-American tight end from Miami and then went to Carolina, is now somewhere else, you know, who he is. And, uh, and I put something in this Jersey Yardline paper, you know, but uh, I was at the Giant game. I was there with Davey Hammerham, Mike Lepardo, Johnny Sabatino, and it was one other person. And if there's anybody out there who knows where they are, please get in touch with me. So I heard from Michael Lepardo's uh, daughters, and they said that uh, my father always talked about it. And one of them isn't a, uh, uh, an accountant or whatever, and one of her clients was Patsy's Restaurant on 56th Street, West 56th. Diagonally across the street from where Neil Life lives, but a real good Italian restaurant. And they brought me that shirt as a gift, you know, signed by both of them. What was, what was it like? Okay, the next one would be Ali Frazier. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So what was, what was that? Where were you sitting? Up, up in the, uh, up in the, somewhere up in the top. And you, let's see, 71, 40 years ago, 45 years ago? 40 something years ago, whenever it was, I went, I was, I, I, I had a new girlfriend. We went to, to the Caribbean. She worked for the, New York Transit Authority, and uh, I have all the programs, all signed by Ali, one of them signed by Foreman. Here? Yeah, huh. somewhere. That was the first time you ever saw Ali? No. no, I saw Ali fight. I saw Ali fight at, uh, St. Nick's Arena, one of his earliest fights against uh, Daniels, Billy Daniels. Then he fought him again. And uh, I went to everything by myself, not everything, but I would go by myself and I could always get one ticket. And uh, I saw the Rolling Stones, I saw any fight I wanted to go to, I got a ticket to. I the double headers at the, the garden, I saw Cassie Russell against Bill Russell. What was the atmosphere like for Ali Frazier to be in that arena? Crazy. You know. Just uh, a lot of people. Every major celebrity, bl black New York was there in those fancy outfits. I saw uh, 
Paul Simon yesterday on the street in New York, and I stopped. And he, I know he, he, I didn't know him, but he walked by me, but I was going to say, Paul, I'm a big fan of yours, and he just kept on walking. That was the, the, the biggest event, the, the biggest ever. And uh, I had a copy of it. I, I somehow lost it, and then I uh, got, uh, I met a, somebody gave me the number of a detective in Philadelphia who collected boxing memorabilia. He came into the city, and I bought a load of stuff from him. <laughs> Cassius Clay, uh, Cassius Clay fights uh, in uh, Ca Ca Cassius Clay in London. Two or three Cassius Clay. You first started covering him in Zaire. Yeah, I went down to uh, I went down to Deer Lake, where he was living in a cabin. I was at the house. I'm trying to picture. She brings in, she brings in the girls, or one of the girls, and he says, "Oh, hi, Belinda, uh, whatever, from Chicago. Her father owned the bakery. She was into. They were, they were into Islam, and uh, she said, took the girls out of the room, brought one in." and said, which daughter is that of yours? Because he really didn't know, couldn't tell them apart. He got it right, you know, but he, he couldn't tell them apart. And I went down there often, and then we drove with them to uh, the Waldorf Astoria where he did the, the press conference. And, he got along with him right away? Yes. And I interviewed him with the airport in the background, and uh, that's when he did, uh, he, he was uh, to tell all the kids out there to stop candy. eating so much candy. Yeah. Eat St. John's ice cream, St. John's ice cream. There was this guy that he was friends with for very short time, who was along on the trip that was one of the St. John's ice cream guys. And he said, I got one right here, I got one right here. And then uh, I asked him some questions, and it was the first time that he ever, you know, he said to me, I said, I'm, I'm coming there with you. And, uh, and he said, uh, just don't get in my face, you know, and it, and it was that frightened me. I thought, uh-oh, you know, he's only been gracious with me. And, and uh, once we got on the airplane and I had a first class ticket, all the, everybody else was in economy and I didn't bother him, and then he went into the, they invited him into the cabin, 
and I went and got the crew and he filmed them. You know, he did that. Uh, look at this. They teach us, uh, they talk about Africans and uh, swinging from, from, swinging like an ape through the trees and uh, look at this. You got African pilots and then and they responded to him. He said, Yeah, they see that? They say, Yeah. Foreman was arriving maybe later that day. And I don't remember. The airport was jam-packed. It may have been the next morning, it may have been later, later that day. I don't remember, but uh, we filmed him and uh, his arrival. You know, they waited while we got the crew out. And uh, we filmed them. Then we went up to his place at Inselli, maybe the next day or the day after. We were all <coughs> settled in and uh, he was back to his old, you know, he, he was sitting outside when I arrived up there. I re remember he was whistling the high and the mighty from the movie Airplane and, uh, and uh, I, he hadn't run yet, he said. It may have been before, because he, he, he was very friendly. He said, if you want to get something good of me when I go out and run, you know, you set your cameras, I come around and turn to get a beautiful shot. You see this Congo, and he'd say, he'd always say Zaire. And there were security guards, and they'd say, no, Zaire, and he came, always came back with the same line. Have no fear, everybody know it's Zaire. And Was he kind of, um, I, I read this, this book by Mark Cram, The Ghosts of Manila. Yeah, I read that. And he kind of describes Ali as like a Chauncey Gardner, like not really aware of what's going on so much, aware that other people think he's incredibly important and profound, but himself sort of like, wow, they think, like almost like a little kid. Did you yes. sense that? Yes, I think everybody did. He never really had a childhood, a real childhood. His father was a player, his father was a sign painter and uh, wanted to be a singer and um, did some singing around Louisville, I guess, and uh, he, uh, his father, um, he, he was like a little kid. He, uh, that's immature. But when he's when he's saying these lines that have become so famous, Cram seemed to suggest that he was like a puppet, that they were lines fed to him. 
Not so. Not so. No, not that I knew of. So he did impress you when you talked to him one-on-one -on -one, that there was a consciousness there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He knew about, uh, he knew the name Lumumba and he mentioned that name several times. And we had passed some place and, and where Lumumba was executed. And I start, and he knew because it had been pointed out to him on the trip from the, uh, the Intercontinental Hotel to Winselli. There was, and it seemed to be one of the, you know, places of in interest for any that uh, down down there is where they executed uh, Lumumba. Do you, do you think he paid a really harsh price for all the wonderful things that he got from boxing and sort of gave to the world? Do you think he paid a very harsh price? He can't talk. He can't walk. He can't. I just heard a line that I, I just wondered what you thought of from Jim Lampley, who watched his fight against Holmes, and he was seated beside Mick Jagger as they were watching the Holmes fight, and he said, um, Mick leaned over and said, do you know what we're seeing, Lamps? And Lamps said, what, what are we seeing, Mick? And he said, we're seeing the end of our youth. That's a great line. Yeah. This is Manila. Her. I was doing sound. I put a wireless in this my in in there and in there. And this is right after the fight is over. That's you there. Yeah, that's I was doing sound. That's me with the. You know, with the boom. Yeah. <laughs> and Ali is sat after the fight ended. He just collapsed on the stage. Was that the best fight you've ever seen? The Thrill in Manila? Uh, I'd have to think about it. I've been to some really great fights, but that was a great, it, it really was a great fight. Angelo wanted to stop it in the sixth round. Without, what did, what did Cram say about it? He said they almost killed each other. They, but, Angelo was going to stop the fight after the sixth round, and he and Bondini got into a big argument on... Uh, Apparently, Ali said in the last round, cut the gloves, meaning his own gloves. Right. Just at the time that Frazier said, or, or Frazier's trainer said, it's enough, like... I know you're legally blind, and the only eye you have left, the other was closed. I can't have you fight him blind. And at the same time, Ali was on the other side saying, just cut my fucking gloves. And the ref went over to Frazier's side to call the fight. Ali wins. And it was uh, a great experience. What do you, I mean... Now that Ali can't even walk, you know, like for hearing people do obituaries and stuff before he's gone, for somebody that you've known, and 
you know, all these decades, you're so associated with them. I mean, how does it, I don't know, how does it make you feel, in, in a way? Oh, how come I'm here and still walking around and still like that? You know, I feel for him. If it wasn't for Ali, Ali allowed me into his life and his world. And if it wasn't for him, and King had a lot to do. King wanted to see some other stuff that I, I did. And that's 1975. And uh, I said, if you walk over to the edit room, my edit room, I can show you some stuff. So he came over. I was working on a Hell's Angel film. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that? Hell's Angels, it was called. Hell's Angels, forever, forever, Hell's Angels. So he came over, he looked at it, and he says, anybody that can work with these crazy motherfuckers can work with this here. That's what he said with his uh, grammatical expression there. How, how would you have done, if you were still making the Manny documentary and you had this Mayweather fight ahead to film, how would you approach it? Because it just seems like with the Zaire fight, you had one of the greatest shocking fights of all time. But what if it's a stinker and Mayweather stinks out a fight and it's... How would you approach it as a filmmaker? Well, I would... Uh, if it was a stinker and everybody knew it, I would probably start it in the present and then go back, bookend it maybe with what everybody knows and a little bit more at the end and tell their stories in between, probably. Yeah. What if it's great? What if it's, what if it's Pacquiao knocks out Mayweather? It's the first time Mayweather's ever been knocked down, knocked out. Started out uh, with... Uh, um, Pacquiao in um, not General Santos City, but where they lived up on, on a in a place called Glen, and uh, they had no running water. Uh, Manny, when he was a kid, would. Uh, walk down the mountain, you know, to get fresh water, walk up the mountain. Supposedly, that's how he developed those huge calves. That's where his childhood was. You, you said that they took the meat out of the story that you wanted to tell with Pacquiao and turned it into a musical. What, what was that meat that was left out? The real Manny Pacquiao, you know, him being, being, uh, Mean being uh, the whole uh, drinking with womanizer, yes, all of that, all out of it. What what did you name when we were kings? When we were kings, it's an unusual title. David. 
it was just uh, the Muhammad Ali project. And David loved the title. I didn't like it. I, I was, a few people called and uh, that I knew from the business and that title is awful. It's just horrible. There was a, there was a, a film running called When We Were Thieves or something like that, that uh, when, we, when we were in the Bronx or a sudden, there was another title very close to it. And David loved it. And then he got his uh, two of the young kids that were writing composes and uh, would be 1995 and Jerry and I had the house here and he said I've got a song I'd love you to hear it and he played it uh, and we listened to it and that was it I mean it was just perfect and then we got Brian McKnight and that woman and I went to the session and it was great Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Tourist Information. The producers for this show are George Alarcón Suebi and myself, Bryn Jonathan Butler. Thanks for listening. <laughs>